Thanks for joining us this morning. I want to, before we start the show, I want to acknowledge the fact that we lost two FBI agents this week and several were injured. Law Matters wants to extend their condolences and prayers to the families as well as the work families of these amazing heroes. This is such a waste. These people are out there risking their lives to protect the most vulnerable above among us. They were going after pedophile, child sex abusers, and I, I just have no words. It's just so sad. All our prayers are with them today, and of course, we want to acknowledge we lost a, a D.C. Capitol Police officer as well who was put to rest this week. So keep them in your thoughts and prayers as well. On the show today, we were supposed to have um, Congressman Colby. He hasn't called in yet. I'm sure he will. And we were supposed to have Jim Trainer, who had a medical family emergency. Not sure what's going on, but I send my thoughts and prayers to his family as well. And in studio, we have a professor of the Constitution. Paul, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much for having me. And we have Maya, our intern from University High School. Good morning. And we're going to talk about what does the Constitution allow us to do in a situation like we have found ourselves in? What is it? It's been a month since the attack on the Capitol. And a lot of people feel that, you know, well, how come nobody's been arrested as far as who instigated all this? What does the Constitution offer us? Well, if you're, if you're talking about the upcoming impeachment of former President Trump, uh, l let me just read you what Article 1, Section 3 says from the Constitution about impeachment. It says, The Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments. When sitting for that purpose, they shall be on oath or affirmation. When the President of the United States is tried, the Chief Justice shall preside, and no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. So that means to be convicted, it takes two-thirds of the senators to vote to, to convict. Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States, but the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law. And so uh, the argument that has been brought forth constitutionally by a number of the Republican senators is that this impeachment of former President Trump is unconstitutional because the trial's taking place while he was out of office. The Constitution does not say that. Uh, it is it is unclear uh, on, on that issue. Uh, but uh, President Trump was impeached while he was in office, and so it, the the argument for impeachment is is that uh, one needs to be held accountable even during your lame duck period uh, in office, and if you commit uh, high crimes or misdemeanors during that particular time, impeachment holds that individual accountable. Uh, there has been one case in the history of this country of a federal judge being impeached while he was in office, but then the trial taking place after he resigned. And uh, that's what uh, those advocates for impeachment are saying, is that this is not an unprecedented situation, that in order to hold a president or anybody else accountable during their uh, lame duck period, uh, they should be subject to impeachment uh, and the trial could take place after they leave office. So my question is, 
he was impeached already. How come the powers that go with the office weren't limited? Why didn't they, okay, you can't do this, you can't do that, as far as, you know, like... I don't know. <laughs> well, you mean in the first impeachment trial, the the Senate acquitted President Trump, and there were no further uh, further uh, recommendations made by the Senate to uh, to try to uh, curb the power of the president, mainly because it was a political move. The Republicans were a majority of of the Senate at that time. They are not a majority at this time. You have a fifty fifty split, and so it would take seventeen Republicans to uh, vote with the Democrats, assuming everybody votes the party line in order to convict President Trump. And uh, at this point in time, uh, based upon some of the comments of the Republican senators, it does not look like there will be 17, which takes into account that uh, has is the Senate uh, taking an oath of affirmation that they will listen to all of the facts presented uh, by the House impeachment managers uh, as the prosecution essentially during this trial coming up this week. Well, I think they can use most of America as witnesses to what happened. We we're all watching it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, there's no question what happened in the speeches that led up to what happened. I I think people are just curious why some people haven't been arrested yet. Just well, domestic the, terrorism. Yeah, I don't care who's doing it. But again, if you if you look at the um, if you look at the uh, last uh, line of Article 1, Section 3 concerning uh, impeachment, it says uh, that the disqualification to hold office of any honor, trust, or profit in the United States, but the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law. There have been people arrested uh, for breaking in into the Capitol and threatening people's lives. Hundreds of people actually have been arrested uh, by uh, the FBI. Uh, I think what's happening here is is that you don't go in and arrest a former president uh, without going through the procedure of impeachment. And part of the idea is is that if uh, the House managers can get a conviction, then that sets up the further prosecution of former President Trump according to law. Okay. Why do you have to go through the impeachment process for him and all his family members and Rudy Giuliani were spewing the same rhetoric that he was. How come none of them have been, they don't have to be impeached. How come none of them have been arrested? Well, the question comes up is, is that did former President Trump, did his children, did Rudolph Giuliani actually constitute a clear and present danger at the time to, uh, to uh, the federal government and to the uh, community, the country at large. And the clear and present danger test, which was has been adjudicated by the Supreme Court, was started by uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, famed justice uh, in the early part of the 20th century. And what Holmes said essentially is is that free speech is not absolute uh, that uh, what may be protected speech in certain situations may not be protected in other situations it's a question of time and place and what's the environment around and so essentially what the clear and present danger test that the court has developed over time has said is is that to be convicted as a clear and present danger of sedition you have to advocate 
you have to have specific intent saying, I'm going to do it this way. You have to have close proximity to where that action would take place, and there has to be a likelihood for success. And so that, that comes in a whole series of cases throughout the 20th century, starting with the Schenck case in 1919 and ending with the Brandenburg case in 1969, is that those are the four parts that one must meet in order to be convicted of sedition. Therefore, all sedition laws have to have those four parts built in as part of what would be called the dues process uh, given to the person that would be accused. So the question comes up is, did President Trump, we'll use him as an example, advocate the insurrection? Again, that's highly interpretive. Yes, his language was incendiary. He said, I, I, I advocate that you march on the Capitol and I'll be with you. Yeah, he lied okay. about that too. And did he have specific intent? Did he say how it would happen? And that's a question as well. Did he have close proximity? You could argue yes. I mean, they were just down the street from the Capitol. The rally was held on January 6th for a reason, because that was the date that the uh, Congress was going to confirm the Electoral College or verify the Electoral College vote. So you could make an argument for close proximity, likelihood for success. Well, <laughs> they stormed the Capitol. And so the first two points, uh, advocacy, specific intent, I think, I think his sons were more incendiary than he was, Rudolph Giuliani was more incendiary than he was. But President Trump organized the event. People were there because he was there, not because of his family, not because of Rudolph Giuliani. And certainly there had, there had to be some greater knowledge of the type of people that were there and why they were there. And more and more uh, evidence has come out that this event was planned, maybe not by President Trump, but you could make an argument that he certainly encouraged it or certainly didn't dissuade it. Now, his rhetoric for four years, more than four years, has mm -hmm. been very... How does, Maya, how do the students feel about this? I mean, you're young, you you weren't around during 9-11. So what is the impact on the student body? You know, I mean, it's a little bit of a harder question to answer because right now we're not in school. Um, I think it would have been very interesting to, you know, see how people reacted in school. You know, if this had happened and we had been there, usually we would have had debates. I would have talked to classmates about it. You know, I've, I've talked to my friends and we were kind of, you know, because you could live stream what was happening on C-SPAN or watch it on your TV. And, you know, we were all texting each other during it. Like, I can't believe this is happening. All sorts of stuff like that. It was just, it was very shocking, which I was think it was. scary? Yeah. And I think it was to, to a lot of the nation. It was, how can this be happening? You know, what's really going on? Where are the people who are supposed to, you know, be solving this problem? How is no one doing anything about this? Yeah. Th those were the main emotions. So what do you think should happen to the people who incited the riot well i think i would classify this in my head as sort of an act of domestic terrorism which i think you know definitely the fbi is as well um i think it's been i've seen some reports of you know people especially white people who were involved in the riot you know being arrested being detained and then being released on bail or all sorts of other things. I saw one woman was, you know, requested to go to Mexico and they let her take a vacation. There was that one shaman, 
guy who, um, you know, requested the, organic food and the they gave it the to him. Yes. <laughs> And, you know, I think a, another large sentiment during this was if this if these were people of color storming the Capitol, what would be the nation's reaction? How fast would, you know, the military be there? How fast would people, you know, die? And so many more people, um, you know, I, I think they should definitely be charged. I think people should be held responsible for the the death of that Capitol policeman, um, you know, because these same conservatives are the ones who are saying, you know, blue lives matter, um, all lives matter. And in fact, it's, it's clear that they're just saying that as a way to counter black lives matter, because they show such support, support for that movement until the policemen are doing their job and it contradicts what they want. And then all of a sudden those lives are expendable. Yeah, it seems that at the time everything was happening, I hear what you say about, you know, if it was black people attacking the Capitol, the reaction may have been different. I didn't think that at the time. I was appalled and shocked that we as Americans, all of us, were under attack. So it wasn't a black and white issue for me. It was like, holy cow, look what's going on and who started it? So... And at the time, I really didn't know who started it. But, you know, just because you have free speech and you have the right to say something doesn't mean you should say something. Like, sometimes I, you know, open your mouth, expose your stupidity. <laughs> you know, and it happens a lot in D.C. But, you know, it's it's things that are carrying on now, like this, uh, what's her name, Taylor Green, you were talking about? Yeah, Marjorie Taylor Green. Tell me about this QAnon thing. Well, yeah, I know you did some research. Yeah, I. So QAnon is a, a conspiracy theory online. It's mainly on like 4chan. I know there's a little bit on 8chan, um, and it it has a lot of different theories. But sort of the main one, or you know, the farthest one is that it is a group of Satan worshiping elites uh, who run a sex, a child sex ring are trying to control our politics and media. So it includes Democrats. It includes, I saw Pope Francis, apparently the Dalai <laughs> Lama. Um, Ellen DeGeneres is on there too. Um, and so it's, it's just, I, it's a conspiracy conspiracy that, that plays on the vulnerabilities of people who are afraid of people who are usually uneducated and, you know, people who are just, they're vulnerable to this sort of um, conspiracy. They're vulnerable, um, you know, they, they can be taken advantage of because of their fear, um, because of things that they've heard, because of, because of rhetoric that's spread by politicians. And Marjorie Taylor Greene has kind of taken all of this and she's, she's brought it to the House of Representatives. So they, they did talk about who started this QAnon thing and I know you have the information in front of you yes um, Paul Ferber and he's from South Africa yes he's a programmer so you know one little you read things online don't believe them consider the source of what's going on whether you're in person with somebody or it's online consider the source you you really need to do your own investigating and you know it's really interesting because i i saw i think a post on this that after the insurrection um you know 
Q, I don't think his identity had been revealed at that point, kind of posted something and was like, I, I can't believe that you guys all believed this. I, I had a cult, which kind of brings up the question, you know, was this someone making a social experiment, kind of seeing what they could do, um, you know, how vulnerable people were, you know, how they could take advantage of them to gain to gain power. And, you know, after Donald Trump didn't, you know, take office, after Joe Biden was inaugurated and not as many of them believed, you know, ripped off the stage and arrested by the FBI for his crimes, which was the belief for a long time, um, which is based on denial. Um, you know, do they still support Donald Trump or are they going to take a step further? Are they going to abandon you know, QAnon, and then we'll look back on this later and say, oh, that was a crazy time. Or are they going to, you know, turn to someone else and, you know, make someone else their figurehead and, you know, continue to gain power? Well, I think some of the, like, Lindsey Graham, you know, count me out the next day he's golfing with Donald Trump. And now he's, you know, trying to control what's going on regarding the impeachment. And you better not bring witnesses what kind of a threat is that? You better not bring witnesses. What do you say to that? Well, again, going back to the free speech issue, let me start with that. Is that again, what Justice Holmes said uh, now over 100 years ago is that free speech is not absolute. It's, it's a question of circumstance, time, place, manner of speech. And, uh, and this, this is the thing that, uh, that uh, is concerning. And uh, many states had on the books uh, since the assassination of President McKinley in 1901, they had sedition laws on the books. But the, the great fear they had was the communists, the, the left-wingers. And what's ironic today is it's the people that are on the, the, the far right that uh, uh, are uh, the biggest concern uh, here, with, and they're claiming now free speech. Uh, that they have the right to, to say these things. Well, there, there's also uh, not only the clear and present danger issue, but you have the issue of defamation. And you have uh, this multi-billion dollar lawsuit that has been filed uh, against uh, Giuliani, uh, against uh, some of the purveyors of fake news on Fox. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that the yeah, people that claim sued. fake news are the ones that actually are the purveyors of it. And it's by the, the company that made the, the voting machines that they're, they're making claims that, uh, that they, they were in the cahoots with the left wingers and they were, they were out to rig the election and so forth. And, and, uh, and they filed a lawsuit saying that that's patently false and the people knew it and it meets the test of defamation that it, that there's malicious intent involved to discredit the company, a reckless disregard for the truth. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how that pans out to maybe the courts, uh, if if they find uh, those persons guilty of defamation, it'll 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 put a, a break on the anything goes atmosphere that has been created over the last few years in, uh, in our political situation. Yeah, is that uh, at, at what point does spin? And interpretation become out and out lies, taking advantage of what Maya said uh, just a few moments ago. People who are uneducated, uh, people who are not very well versed in how government operates and on, on uh, theory of democratic republican government, and they're susceptible to Trumpism. Uh, which is a combination of uh, stretching the truth, lying, the big lie, uh, uh, ca name calling, scapegoating, the cult of the personality, which 
in my definition in studying history and political science, that's fascism. Yeah. And and that it's it's really a scary thing and I'm 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 hoping that we've nipped it in the bud and that this country can use these last 4 years as a learning experience and say we're not going to let this happen again. So do you think there's anything that needs to be done regarding the constitution to put it, something in place? You know, I I Cong- I wish congressman was on the phone. Um, because the last time he was here, I said, you know, how, how about some kind of a psych evaluation before you put him in the office where he's got the code to the nuclear, you know, something. Do you think there should be something in place before we put another person like a Donald Trump in office? Well, there has been talk about, especially for presidents, that there should be some type of uh, evaluation medically because we've had presidents who physically have uh, not been able to perform the job in what's oftentimes referred to as in 1944 when Roosevelt ran for a fourth term. He, he, w- he was a dying man and it, that there should have been some type of evaluation uh, there. But again, those medical evaluations oftentimes are subjective based upon who's who's doing the evaluating. But yeah. uh, I think one thing that should be considered is possibly shortening even further the uh, the lame duck period. At one point in time, uh, Congress by law set March 4th as the induction period for both the President and Congress. And the 20th Amendment rolled that back in 1936 and 1937 to to, uh, January 20th. Maybe now we've learned here that maybe we need to roll back uh, that uh, period between the election and... uh, and when the president and Congress take office, maybe even a little bit further back to prevent uh, issues like this from from happening again. And that's, again, why the impeachment trial, I think, is important, is that our officials who have been voted out of office but still hold office for the remainder of their term, their lame duck period, are they still accountable to the people? And yeah. if, if you say that, that, if you say that you can't in hold impeachment trial for pre- former President Trump after he's out of office, you're saying essentially that that person who's in the lame duck period of their presidency is unaccountable to the people or anybody else. That's another scary thought. Gee, thanks, Paul. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a few Thanks for staying with us. I want to apologize. I don't know what happened with Congressman Colby. He's usually right on the money. He's never not showed, so I hope he's okay. And I want to ask about the pardon ability. If, (laughs) you know what I'm going to say. If at the end of, um, the president has the ability to pardon whomever, apparently, all his friends, why is that allowed? Why it? Why is that allowed to? You know, you've got people who've committed felonies. Why are they being pardoned by the president without serving any time? Well, the the uh, Constitution gives the president the pardoning power, and uh, it is a check against uh, the federal judiciary. It's part of our systems of uh, checks and balances uh, among the three branches of the federal but government. But isn't that a conflict of interest? Well, 
uh, again, y- y- you can make anything uh, a conflict of interest, and if taken to extremes, uh, you can you can uh, upend the the meaning of the Constitution uh, in any way you you want to see. Uh, uh, I think the 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 best quote about uh, the Constitution and a democratic republic comes from Washington. Sometimes it's attributed to Thomas Jefferson, saying that for a democratic republic to succeed, everybody must practice self-restraint. And that includes the leaders. And they set the example for the public of practicing self-restraint. Because if we don't practice self-restraint as citizens, the police have to come in, law enforcement has to come in to restore stability uh, to the community. And therefore, now you have the feeling that it's a police state and not a free free society. And and so if your leaders don't practice self-restraint... And I think that that's a problem that we've had in the past four years under President Trump. It sets a poor example for the public uh, in terms of uh, practicing self-restraint themselves, because if the president's not doing it, then uh, then who should? should? But back to the (laughs) pardoning issue, it's it's a check against the judiciary, and the president does have the ability to pardon individuals who have been found guilty or give them immunity from prosecution through the pardoning power. But that's for only federal crimes that they may have committed or have been convicted of. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, state and local governments can't prosecute them. And that was uh, the big issue is, would President Trump try to pardon himself uh, or members of his family? And he ended up not doing that because, from my understanding, is he received some advice and he actually listened to uh, this ad- piece of advice, is that all it will do is is that it will fan the flames of possible state prosecutions, and he, he's up for at least a half a dozen possible indictments at the state level for alleged crimes that he may have committed, and that will only fan the flames uh, against him if he tried to pardon himself of possible federal crimes, because it would show that maybe he was guilty of something. Okay, if you get pardoned by the president, that only serves for anything that that happened prior to that pardon. If somebody uh, commits a crime after they've been pardoned, does it count? Can no, they be the arrested? Par- the pardon does not account at that point. But again, the pardon only extends to federal crimes that the president has pardoned one for. It doesn't account for state or local issues that may uh, arise legally. Okay, because I, I saw on TV yesterday, it was the first time I had seen that where, that what's his name, Stone was out there with the mob and, and doing his thing too. And I thought, oh, Here's another one. And when did he get pardoned? Before that? Oh, so he can be arrested? That's the way I was thinking. But then I thought, well, does a pardon last for life and you can just go out and run amok? No, it would be for for the specific incident Incident. or the specific alleged crime or crime that you've been convicted of that you're pardoned for. So. So it doesn't, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It, it, it is to an extent, because if you're in jail for being, uh, uh, for being uh, don't have to go back convicted like of a federal crime, <laughs> you get out of jail for that. But if you commit f- further, further crimes, crimes beyond the pardon, then you, you're, you're uh, susceptible to indictment for that. So, good. Okay. That makes me feel better. I was wondering about it. I was like, how does that read? How do you interpret that? And I know there's a lot of different interpretations of what the Constitution 
has been supplying us. Mm -hmm. And do you think that down the road they're going to do anything to tighten it up? Well, the amendment process to the Constitution is extraordinarily difficult because uh, there are two ways to amend the Constitution. You have two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate with a joint resolution that then goes to the states and three-fourths of the states have to ratify. That's been done 27 times. What has been done no times is is that you could have a uh, the alternative route is is you have two thirds of the state legislatures vote to have a constitutional convention to make any amendments to the constitution, then three fourths of the states would have to ratify. That process has never uh, been used. But uh, the thing is is that uh, the constitution is purposely hard to amend because it's supposed to be fundamental higher law and. When was the last time there was an amendment made? Oh, well, you had the 27th Amendment, uh, and it's getting on to be about 30 years ago, which actually was James Madison's original 11th Amendment that never was ratified with the necessary three-fourths of the states way back in 1791 with the rest of the Bill of Rights. And then almost 200 years uh, later to the day, uh, we got the magic number of the three-fourths of the state legislatures to ratify it, and it says that uh, Congress can't raise their salary salaries uh, unless they face the next election. So the Congress controls the purse strings. It was a, an amendment to try to prevent corruption in government. So if Congress votes to raise their salaries, the salary raise does not take effect until after the next election. That's the 27th Amendment. Yeah, we should talk about corruption in government. <laughs> well, Do we the, have a couple of extra hours here? <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, is you have to be careful with that because that feeds into all the conspiracy theories and the drain the swamp <laughs> theories. You have to be careful. <laughs> oh, same swamp, different reptiles. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Puerto Rico wants to be a state. D.C. is talking about it. How would that work with what we have now? Well, Congress has the power to admit new states should the states uh, should the territories uh, appeal for statehood. I am not aware that Puerto Rico wants to be a state. I know that there have been some individuals that have wanted to push uh, Puerto Rican statehood, but uh, I'm not so sure that uh, that there is a uh, a vast majority of Puerto Ricans that actually want to uh, be a state. With uh, the District of Columbia, I know that their motto is uh, taxation without representation because uh, they they pay all the federal taxes and the best they can have is a shadow representative in Congress that's non-voting. And so, uh, I, 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 again, it, it would be up to Congress to admit them as states, and my guess is, is that the Republicans would uh, not be supportive of it because D.C. in every election is is uh, Democratic, and so that would be two more Democratic senators and at least one more Democratic member of the House. That would be th- at least three more electoral votes. Uh, excuse me, they already get electoral votes, but they voted Democratic ever since D.C. was awarded electoral votes, and so th- that would be more Democrats, because uh, D.C. is predominantly African-American, and African-Americans are a dependable constituency of the Democratic Party. I'm going to guess that Puerto Rico probably would be uh, predominantly Democratic as well and so I don't uh, know whether uh, the Democrats in Congress would want to push this issue too much given the extent of the Biden agenda to bail us out of the pandemic issue environmental issues fixing Social Security you have some mountain sized issues to deal with do you want to throw in DC and Puerto Rican statehood on top of that 
How do you feel about what happened with the uh, climate control being when Trump removed us? Well, I think uh, under Donald Trump, we lost four very valuable years in terms of our battle against what, whatever you want to call it, climate change, global warming. Uh, the severe weather that you hear about this is uh, the things that the um, the scientists have predicted. And it was in uh, Al Gore's uh, movie, uh, and An Inconvenient Truth, is that uh, global warming uh, it means that oh, the average temperature of the earth is rising each year because of man-made uh, pollutants and the the whole idea is is that uh, you're going to have not a continual rise where it's going to be warm all over you're going to have more extreme weather conditions and have you noticed that we've had more and more severe hurricanes hitting the gulf coast and record and, numbers yeah because the the water on uh, on the the oceans and the seas are is getting warmer and that feeds into the uh, stronger uh, storms and sharks and, are going in areas where they used to not go yeah, and because you, of that. And you have the inroads into the Everglades and the bayous uh, uh, that you see. And the, the storms uh, and our winters seem to be more severe uh, than before. Uh, and areas that are going to be, uh, that are naturally warm, desert areas like around Tucson are going to get warmer. So it's going to be more extremes. Uh, and... Uh, and again, uh, the clock is ticking. At what point will it become irreversible? And we lost four valuable years uh, in trying to uh, build a coalition worldwide. And I think President Biden's going to attempt, at least, to get us back into the uh, mix and try to become a leader in uh, uh, trying to curb uh, the emissions that are causing this. But uh, we lost, it's terrible. We lost four valuable years uh, uh, under President Trump. Yeah, I, I can see where the people were pulling their hair out. When the election, when the results came in, people all over the world were celebrating. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> you know, especially with the climate thing that is so, so serious right now. Yeah, and it and it it, it takes uh, the the president of the United States to be a world leader. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, uh, I could make an argument that uh, going back to uh, the comments by Washington Jefferson, and you have a, a political scientist by the name of James Barber, and a famous historian by the name of Arthur Schlesinger, that essentially says is that the the president of the United States, uh, the personality of the president. Uh, sets the example and how the president behaves how the what the president says has a large effect not only on this country but on the world on the world and that that we have invested in the president of the united states informally outside of the constitution that the president is also the spiritual leader of the country in in, in uh, England, they have divided it between the monarch and the prime minister. The prime minister is the the governing official who makes the political system work, but the queen, the the monarch, is the spiritual leader, the head of church, and right. the, the head of church. Thing. Well, we have uh, the president is our secular spiritual leader. And when our president does not behave in a manner that we expect in terms of showing, uh, showing compassion uh, toward uh, his fellow citizens, uh, showing uh, remorse in some cases when uh, mistakes are made, uh, it permeates the entire nation. And because the president is the leader of the world, whether we like to say so or not, it, it has an impact on, on the entire globe. 
It's yeah, and it's unfortunate that a lot of people were looking at America like, you know, what happened to you guys? <laughs> What's the matter with you? I have my a lot of my family is still in England, and Ireland, and Australia, and it was like, what are you doing over there? <laughs> yeah. I said, I'm sorry, I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, it, but but it it speaks to the fact that that. Um, in the modern era, the President of the United States, again, has to show that he has what Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt called the civic personality, that he is there as the servant of the people. And, and to I be think, humble. Yeah, and to be humbled <laughs> by it. And, I, 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 and that, is, that, in my opinion, is the greatest failing of all of President Trump. It is too bad that, that this happened. Maybe we can turn this into a positive like we have other uh, events in our past history uh, by saying let's use this as a warning shot never to have that happen again. What but, other events have had had this type of an impact? Well, obviously the Civil War. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. I want you to talk you about have, you have this, well the the divisiveness and with the attack on the Capitol. There, there is no other event other than the Civil War that could even compare to uh, to that. Um, now, the th the thing is, is that we've had scandals. Uh, but uh, what we're going through right now makes Watergate seem so insignificant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know True that that, that uh, the comparison is is that at least uh, at least President Nixon expressed some remorse uh, about uh, about what had happened, and uh, where I'm not seeing that from former President Trump at all, and uh, it's uh, it really saddens me to a, a great deal. Uh, that uh, we have that, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how we pull out of this. Okay, sometimes I I see what's going on as you know smoke and mirrors. I know there hasn't been a lot of talk about the fact that Russia broke into our security system. What if it was found out that somebody in the administration was responsible for enabling them to do that? and then created all this chaos to cover it up. What would happen to that person? Well, uh, again, uh, you would have to say, what did Pro this person it. do? Uh, and what was what was the effect of this? Well, we, we've had in individuals that have been um, charged with treason before uh, uh, in this country. Uh, so the thing would be is you'd have to you'd have to be very specific as to what this person uh, did, uh, and uh, if you are uh, if you are purposely giving out sensitive state classified information to any individual or foreign representative entity. foreign nation, it doesn't matter whether it's ally, perceived ally or perceived threat to this country, that is illegal. And the question would be is what charges or, or at, at what level would the charges uh, be? I mean, the, the, the worst charge would be treason, but uh, uh, there could be lesser charges brought against it. Like Edward Snowden? Yeah, th th that would be an example, yes. Actually, I've got his um, NSA supervisor going to be coming on the show in a couple of weeks. Well, that'll to, be an interesting interview. To talk about <clears throat> what happened and why did that happen and how did it happen? Maya? 
I think it's really interesting because, you know, you're talking about um, people selling secrets to Russia. And during the insurrection, you know, it was Nancy's, Nancy Pelosi's laptop was stolen. And, you know, a woman said, you know, told a, a close friend that she was she had the laptop and that she was going to sell it to Russia. Um, and that woman, you know, was found. The laptop was not. And she was released, I'm pretty sure. So it's just very interesting to see, you know, I think there was a large show, um, you know, once it happened, everyone was kind of like, oh, so now we're all on the same page, you know, this is wrong, especially like policymakers or people in Washington and and Lindsey Graham. Yeah, right. And so, and once we, we passed that time period, then we've kind of moved past it, I think. I don't know if anyone's really been charged. I haven't heard anything. Maybe I'm not checking the news enough. But, you know, I, I thought that there would be a bigger deal. I thought that these these trials would be, you know, we're going to make an example of people who do this and we're going to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And I that has not really happened, you know. And I think that people kind of dismiss the seriousness of it or the public is not aware because, you know, Congresswoman AOC has gone on and, kind of talked about her experience and, you know, hiding in her bathroom, hearing people come into her office and, you know, kind of saying, where is she? Where is she? It was later discovered that, you know, that was a security guard. But to her, you know, her safety was in jeopardy. That could be someone who was, you know, trying to kill her. You know, Marjorie um, Taylor Greene has pictures on her Facebook, you know, where she's holding an AR-15 and it has pictures of AOC and other, you know, more left-leaning Democrats on there. You know, it's suggesting that, you know, those people are actually going to be executed. Yeah, it does. And when the Capitol was stormed, that was the goal of some of those people. Not all of them, uh, but some of them for sure. And it seems that as a country, we've kind of dismissed the seriousness of this issue um, and, you know, how much it is going to affect our history if we if we don't do anything about it or not our history, our future, if we our don't future. do anything about it now. Yeah, it's it's serious and people, especially the people in Washington, are just like dismissing it. This is, you know, okay, that happened back to playing golf. <laughs> I'm like, no. Yeah, well, I don't think all the people in Washington are dismissing it. Uh, there, There is a certain sector of the uh, Republican Party that is dismissing it. And partly it's because uh, some of these folks like... Um, uh, Senator Cruz and Senator Hawley uh, are wanting to appropriate the Trump uh, constituency and hopefully uh, a run for the presidency four years from now. And uh, and so you have political opportunists at work as well, people who are well-educated. These are not the, the uh, people who are uneducated. These are the ones that are manipulating the system. Uh, and uh, uh, I think what Senator Hawley did on on January 6th was far more incendiary than anything that President Trump did uh, because uh, of the fist pump and the encouragement that he gave to uh, the the protesters just before they stormed uh, the Capitol building. And See, so and that, uh, that told me that this was planned. They knew it was going to happen. That, that and, and the FBI is uh, uh, uncovering more and more evidence that this was uh, uh, a, a planned event uh, much more. The question then comes up is how much... Uh, how much did President Trump know about it? And it goes back to the old Watergate question. What did the president know and when did he know it? Yeah. 
Well, you're talking about, you know, um, Republicans who are using this as kind of an opportunity for their career. But what does this mean for the Republican Party? I, I know that there, when I was watching it and I saw police officers getting attacked, it kind of thought about like the pillars of the Republican Party, you know, kind of some are fiscally conservative, some are, you know, very um, strongly for blue lives and for law enforcement. I, I know President Trump really pushed for that. And then some are more focused on President Trump himself. And after it, President Trump said he might form his own party. I mean, that's assuming that he will be able to hold office. Um, and I thought about that. And to me, it seemed like, you know, kind of political suicide for the Republican Party, because that would, I think, essentially split their party. And, you know, I don't think that they would be able to get into office of, office as well. So, like, what do you think about, you know, what this means for the future of the Republican Party? Will they split? Will they stay together? Could you imagine Marjorie Taylor Greene as president? Yeah. Everybody's yeah. quiet. They're like afraid. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, she she'll never be president because she's elected by a constituency in rural Georgia uh, that does not represent, I believe, the mainstream of the Republican Party. She's in a safe district, and uh, a concern we have about Congress is the issue of gerrymandering, which I think could be a, another topic for a show where essentially 400 out of the 435 seats for the House are safe Republican or safe Democratic, and the elections are won in the primary, not the general elections. And so, uh, political Tamaya's issue is is that political parties, the two major parties, are very resilient. After Watergate, everybody was talking about the death of the Republican Party. Oh my goodness, they'll never recover. Well, Reagan was back in office within six years, uh, and uh, and he was amazing. Yeah, and <laughs> no, but but you look back at it and you say uh, that uh, the Republican Party still has some really classy individuals. Yeah, you do. may not agree with them, but Mitt Romney, uh, uh, I'm a Democrat, but I could live with him as President of the United States, uh, yeah, that understand the system. Right. And, and we're talking about liberal versus conservative, not Democratic, Republican versus Trumpism, fascism. Uh, we're talking about uh, individuals uh, like former Congressman Colby, uh, Senator McCain. Yeah. Uh, you have some classy people there. Now it's it's time for them to step forward and take control of the situation. Otherwise, their party is going to be in a Jeopardy. recession for a while. But the, the, the Republican Party will come back. They'll regroup. They'll regroup. They'll come back. Yeah. I, I truly want to believe that there are more nicer, more intelligent, logical, common sense people out there than they are these radicals that are, you know, spewing the nonsense in QAnon. <laughs> I, I just find it humorous that it was started in South Africa. But that's part of the reason why this impeachment is so important. It is important. And, and again, is it politically motivated? Absolutely. Alexander Hamilton wrote in the Federalist Papers that all impeachments will be politically motivated. The reason why the Democrats want to go through with this is they want the Republican senators to be on record. Are you for Trump or against Trump? And they're going to use that in the next elections when those senators run for, for re-election. And, and the thing is, is that uh, in some ways that it's politically motivated, but that's good because y you want those people to have to defend that position, that if they're going to vote no on the conviction of Trump on the, the you know, impeachment. Why are you doing that? 
You better look long term, not short term. Right. <laughs> it will come back to bite you. I and think, unfortunately, a lot of the um, you know old Republican uh, Republicans like Mitch McConnell. You know, as soon as the insurrection happened, all of that rhetoric kind of you know the the election could still be fraudulent. That ended completely. And I think those are the people who are, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, you are looking long-term. You know that in the end, your position was wrong and that, um, you know, that has to switch up right now. That has to change right now. And you're going to say, you're going to announce this and we're going to, you know, move forward. I think a lot of them are like saying we need unity now and stuff like that. And, and it's definitely moved very quickly from the type of rhetoric that they were spreading. Well, I, I, you can't believe them. You can't believe that they're shocked by what happened all of a sudden. Oh, this isn't good. Well, no, it wasn't good, but you were part of the rhetoric that instigated it. So I think they should be held accountable. And some people should just be removed from, from the Congress and Senate and just see you bye. Well, yeah, th that's true, but uh, from a political perspective, if you are a Democrat and you are equally opportunistic on the other side, don't you want to keep those people around as, as something of a of a, a, a whipping post against uh, the Republicans? So, I mean, there is a cynical way you can look at this. That uh, my 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 knee jerk reaction is is yeah. We want we want to get uh, get rid of these people, but again, from a perspective of uh, uh, of the party politics, uh, does is the existence of Marjorie Taylor Greene actually something that is good overall for the Democrats? Uh, you know, I'd rather have instead of having that whipping post. I mean, she's a case for the couch. Let's face it. That's <laughs> you know, there's no two ways about it. But wouldn't you rather have some normal people who had common sense were willing to sit down and hash out and debate out what, what we're going to do to move forward for the better of the community, the, the country, the world in some cases, instead of it's all about me, me, me. That's true. But again, it goes back to the question is, is was she duly elected in a fair and square election by her constituents? And uh, what did we say? Build a fence around it and call it a jail? <laughs> yeah, we, you could do that. <laughs> but but again, uh, again, uh, if we're if we're talking about the sanctity of what the voters vote, Vote for. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to. You, what's good for the goose is good for the ganders. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. But uh, again, uh, to to say that the, the voters of uh, her district in Georgia were wrong is going down the same rabbit hole that uh, the Trump supporters were going. No, down I with think she is a the, fair representation of that district. It may be. It, it may be. <laughs> it's like this. Okay, I want to. I want to tell people because I haven't announced this yet. In March, we're going to have Law Matters is going to host an online auction. That's so you can stay safe and everybody can stay away from each other. We're going to post these items online, and I'll give you more information down the road. But we're we're getting things like you know artwork, um, jewelry some one-of-a-kind jewelry. We're going to auction off some federal agents. So <laughs> if you want to hear about things like Waco or, you know, some... We have an agent who was embedded with the cartel for three years. You want to hear about that? 
they'll be able to tell you about it. You have to give them back when you're done. You can't keep them, but it's an experience you probably wouldn't have otherwise. And I want everybody to prepare for that. Get ready. We're going to have an auction. I hope you're looking forward to it. And if you have anything you want to donate that we can auction off, give me a call. I'd love to hear from you. We're open to everything except for animals and kids. We don't want to do that. Okay. I want to thank you for coming in and talking to us about the Constitution. My pleasure. And Maya, thank you for your research. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And until next week, I want everybody to go get your vaccination if you haven't done it already and shop local, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week.